Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Mel. I'm Katie. And we're your hosts. This week we watched Philomena, directed by Stephen Frears and released in 2013. The plot summary for Philomena goes as follows. A world-weary political journalist picks up the story of an Irish woman's search for her son, who was taken away from her decades ago after she became pregnant and was forced to live in a convent. Right. So, before we get into it too much, I just want to say right off the top that no matter what I think of the film, I think this is a really important story to be put out there. Okay. Yes. The first thing I wanted to say off the bat is much, much less impressive. I keep trying to call this movie Philomania because I keep of- trying to write it that way. <laughs> no, because at the, um, what was it, the Golden Globes, somebody, somebody Australian was reading out the names of the- Jesse Spencer- was reading yep. out the names of the movies and he called it Philomania and it just cracked me up. And ever since then, I keep thinking of it as Philomania and it isn't. It's I Philomena. Can, I can never spell it right. Every time I try and spell it, I'm like, that can't, it can't just, it has to have an extra I and it doesn't. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Okay. So, um, but yeah. the movie, uh, is, it's really, really interesting. I have a lot of really positive things to say about it. So I'm just going to get the negative thing. Yep. The one negative thing out of the way first. I really don't like, the way that they kept winking at the narrative, like, the, you know, all the conversations between uh, Martin and Catelyn Stark mm. where they kept talking about how they were going to put this word in and how they were going to tell the story and then the story would take an unexpected twist and then, you know, Philomena would talk about her books that have unexpected twists in them and it was really, really grating on me. Oh. Like it really irritated me because I thought this was such a good story that we didn't need to be told how they're telling us the story. Um, and mm. I know that it has a journalist in it, but I, I also think there was a bit too much focus on him and not enough on her. And I think that kind of is part of why I didn't like that. But that particular element of the movie to me didn't work. I thought it was them being too clever rather than just focusing on telling this really interesting story. Oh, see, I really liked it because when you think of Philomena, she doesn't know that stuff. Mm. So it's kind of, I, I thought that was a wink at Philomena, but at, at the audience not knowing. And I, I actually don't think that sort of stuff is necessarily obvious to people and people don't necessarily know about the way they get manipulated behind the scenes. I don't know. It also felt, I felt like it was kind of talking down to them. Oh, okay. In a lot of ways. Like it was talking down to Philomena, which yeah. I had a feeling of a lot of the time in the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And those particular scenes just like, I thought it would be better to focus on the, the, you know, pathos and the natural comedy of the story coming from Philomena and that sort of thing rather than that. It just sort of felt fake and the rest of the movie was so real that that kind of, you oh. know, there was this dissonance for me. Right. So that's like my main – oh, and I didn't think – I thought Steve Coogan was okay but completely overshadowed by Judy Dench. Yeah, she was really good. Um, Although I thought uh, he did fine as well and I think he's one of those people that appreciating the context of him being a comedian is quite – like, he actually does really well when he's just doing straight-up straight roles. Mm. Yeah. So, I don't know. Um, there's something – I don't think Joss Whedon originally said it, but this is where I heard it from, mm. about how comedians are always uh, usually better at doing both comedy and drama because mm. they have all the timing and the technical stuff down. Oh, uh, yeah. It was to do with Sarah Paulson, why he set, cast Sarah Paulson in Serenity. Okay, yeah. yeah. Mm. So, there's that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I think I'm – Perhaps I got very attached to this one yeah. and I really liked the story and I was really upset by the whole thing and I think it's really important and I'm really sad that this isn't getting more attention and it's not getting more attention from feminists. Mm. So this is stuff that happened not just 
in this is this is about Ireland and the Magdalen laundries, and there's been other films about this, and certainly there's been talk about it. But it happened everywhere. It happened all around the world. It happened in Australia, and if um and last year uh, when uh, Julie Gillard was prime minister, she apologised to the Australian women. This happened to that where mm. the state actually had a. I I don't know if it was a state policy. I don't know enough about it, and we're recording so quickly that I haven't had time to do any research into it. But we. There was it, it was governments, it was churches, it was social pressure. This happened everywhere and it was an important story and it kind of messed up a lot of women and it's like important to remember when as modern feminists we people start to have a go at our reproductive rights and our rights to access contraception and all those sorts of things that we kind of take for granted but that there's always someone trying to chip away at. Because mm. a couple of weeks ago we did um, 12 Years a Slave, which is deservedly getting a lot of attention for looking at institutionalized racism and the way the systems of oppression work. And it did a really great job and it'll deserve its Best Picture Oscar and all the accolades that it gets. But this is a really – it tells a story that's a really important look at institutionalized sexism Mm. and stuff that went on Okay, and and in the church. You didn't see this movie last week, but I did. I went to see The Railway Man last week. Yes. And I was just overwhelmed by some similarities between this and The Railway Man. Oh, really? They both sort of – they both were marketed wrong. Mm. Both of them seem to be weepy British dramas, mm. right? Those sorts of romantic weepy British yeah. dramas that, you know, isn't it sweet, Judy Dench, that sort of thing. And neither of them is. They're actually kind of both movies about incredibly traumatized people. They're both movies with incredibly good flashback scenes with a really talented young actor in them. I thought Sophie Kennedy Clark in this was just amazing. Wasn't she great? As the young Philomena. Um, And I can't remember his name now in the other one, but he, Jeremy something, Mm. and he stole that movie. Jeremy Irving, I think it is. Right. Um, And he just stole, like, that had Colin Firth and Hiroyuki Sanada and Nicole Kidman and and Stellan Skarsgård, and he was just the best thing in it. Mm -hmm. So, like, and there's a lot of parallels in, you know, trauma and kind of buried trauma from the past that we don't talk about that much. Railway Man was focusing on something that I think has been talked about a whole lot. Mm. which is, you know, men in the Second World War, soldiers in the Second World War, and he was tortured in in the war. And then it was a story about redemption and forgiveness. And this one had a similar sort of end message. But the it was handled so differently, and Mm. the traumas that were committed, like that, that, that Philomena went through and the way that she handles them are so different to that film. Yeah. But there were, like, they both really similar sort of ideas and themes and things like that. And I'm glad this one's getting more attention than The Railway Man. But I think part of the reason why it's not getting attention is because, like I said before, they're both marketed wrong. Mm. Philomena is really marketed wrong. Right. It's This is one of those ones where, like, my 65-year-old auntie has been to see it before where I have. Yeah, my mum went to see it. Yeah, right. And so they're, they're getting at that demographic, but that's, that's a demographic who knows that this went on. Yeah. So they have friends and relatives and – um, I don't, I don't want to go too much into this because it's not my story to tell. But I know for a fact that this happened to someone in my family mm. that they had a baby and it was taken away. So I have a relative out there that I don't know that I've never met in that generation, and so they know about this stuff. And they're kind of they're probably being marketed also as like Judy Dench fans. Oh, let's go see a nice Judy Dench film. Yeah, and the poster is so mm. sort of it's so benign. <laughs> that was excellent timing on uh, on. Um What's the word that means two words that mean the same thing? 
Anyway, I'll uh, synonyms. Yeah. Oh yeah. Excellent timing. Timing right. on synonyms. Yeah, and so like it, it really is. It's like oh, it's a nice movie for your mum to go and see, but it's actually a important movie to go and see. Yeah, and it could have been marketed in much more in much more interesting ways. Yeah, and I think that the way that they did it, which was so it was so benign, and the movie, the story is so powerful. Mm. You know, might work for it and against it. For it in the sense that more people are probably going to go see it. Yeah. But unless it got to the level of 12 Years a Slave where it was like, you have to go see this to find out what happened to people. Yeah, like Um, our friends probably won't go see this and I will tell them to because it is good. But it's also important to get out there that this this happened and that it's – I don't know. I just found the whole thing really traumatizing. Like I thought it was a really good movie and I really enjoyed it. But I – it was – really hard to watch like I felt I suspect if you were so inclined you might burst into tears it's that kind of it does get a bit tearjerkery at times but I was more kind um, of traumatized by what she went through I was in the that with a tearjerky sense mm. I was actually rather impressed by how res- restrained it was yeah like it wasn't a tearjerker it didn't manipulate you I mean it did in the sense of any storytelling does yeah but it didn't do that kind of uh fried green tomatoes obvious manipulating you thing that yep. I hate um, I really don't like that. And this didn't do that at all. It just sort of, and that's kind of, I think that's why that, that thing, the narrative thing bothered me because everything else in it was so restrained and dignified and, and it was just telling this story. And there are so many twists in it. There's so many unexpected turns just in the story, right? Because mm. like what happened to her son and, and then what she discovers about him as she goes through and what she discovers about the the nuns as she goes through are so interesting mm. on their own and yeah. it's all handled so well and so deftly and you know just as you think there can't be anything else that's a surprise something else will come out and you know surprise you and so yeah I, that i think that's why it kind of frustrated me that's just my opinion yeah, i i um, just kind of liked the that because of the contrast between the idea of them trying to construct a story and the fact that the story as it was constructed, is interesting enough in and of itself. And there's also some interesting stuff that you can't resolve in that, well, partly that Philomena is still around and is is able to watch this and is involved in the promotion of the movie, but f- that she remains a Catholic, that she's always kind of – she has this institutionalised idea that she must defend the church and things like that, that you would – like it, it would have been easier to fictionalise that a bit and make it, you know, pump it up for effect, but it, they don't. It's funny that you say that. That we're talking, we were talking about uh, family connections and stuff. And um, God, Philomena reminded me so much of my grandmother. I mean, I'm pretty sure that Nana had the exact same nighty robe set that she wears in the movie. My Nana used to read the Maeve Binchy novels. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I and, mean, and have a nighty like that, and a little with a little dressing gown. Yeah, she had to go anywhere. Yeah. And my my Nana was um, Irish as well, and yeah. so you know all mm-hmm. of that sort of thing. Um, and so I think. The effectiveness of the role that Judy Dench plays, and I'm not going to say Philomena herself because, you know, I don't know what she's really like, but the way that Judy Dench plays it yeah. is that she's so recognizable as somebody that you know, even if it wasn't your grandmother, it might be somebody from down mm. the street or a teacher you had or a nurse that you met or something like that, mm. um, that she is this kind of uh, stalwart character. Yeah, like an iconic character. And so that makes all of her feelings that much more accessible, I think. Yes. Like it makes all of her pain more uh you, you connect with it more her um the humor you connect with and they they balance the humor and the sadness really well so that you always get that sense that you know she's this 
she has this inner strength. And I think with the religion part of it, it's really interesting because she draws a lot of strength from her religion as well. Yeah. Like, so it's easy for us because we're both atheists to wonder why she still believes and she still has all that indoctrinated sort of belief in her. Yeah. But I don't know if it is indoctrinated so much as like she's also chosen this. So I'm and not. And she very clearly yeah. chooses it at the end of the movie. Yeah. No, but I felt the same way. Okay, so, so then I, I want to separate the faith from her defense of the institution. So there's. She's, I don't know if you yeah. can though. Yeah. So that was to me was like I I don't I'm not surprised that she retains her faith. Like that's not a that I don't I don't think that's in question. It's the that she can still defend the institution. Yeah, but I don't know if you can. Yeah. Divorce those two things. Especially in the Catholic Church, which is because so it is much. such an institution, right? And I felt the same way. I was just like, just they're awful. Yeah, they're awful. Like, there's a point at which in the beginning of the movie, Martin's like the fucking Catholics, and I'm yeah. like, yeah, they're awful. I was just going to say that because that's a great scene because she's also she's going on about how she really enjoyed having sex and she her sin felt really good and she was trying then she was trying to work out which sin was worse and that was a great little scene. He's like fucking Catholics and oh sorry, it was not that it was. That she, yeah, her sin felt good, but she didn't know anything. They'd also deliberately not told her anything about it. That and I don't know about, about her body or her or sex that, or how babies are made. Like, oh, that was a problem of her mother dying. A little, but because uh, the Catholic Church, I mean, especially at that time, was of course not going to tell anybody anything about sex. Like, if they told anybody anything about it, then they'd probably be complicit in, like, in, in their minds, it. in enc- encouraging it. Exactly. Right. That's the d- job of the parents, right? Mm-hmm. It's just that Philomena didn't have that, and like, yeah. So they, you know, the, I mean, mm-hmm. to to get angry with a religious institution about not teaching about sex is kind of like. I can't think of an analogy right now. But they're suppressing the information because clearly it's not just that Philomena's mother didn't teach her about sex because there's a whole, was a whole series of places where this happened to multiple women. And so, and particularly in Ireland. We're talking about those cases. We're talking about Philomena. Those cases might have been girls who knew exactly where babies came from and went out and did it anyway. Or they might have been more girls who didn't know anything because their mothers were also repressed. We don't know. We only know from this one case. Yeah, but the, the, the whole way of fostering non-sharing of information this is private this is not to be talked out about 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 outside of the home and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff that fosters an environment where there is a lack of education and a lack of knowledge and that yeah. i mean because most of us like we i i have to say for myself i'd learned more about sex on the playground than i did from my parents like i learned some basic facts from my parents and where to go for information and things like that but we by the time we were at school there was a whole lot of gossip around you know, sex and how it worked and what happened. And you couldn't miss that. But in a culture like that, where she'd never even heard that she had a clitoris, like that screams of a culture where there's, it's not talked about anywhere, not even like gossipy among other girls and on the playground, anything like that. Yeah. Uh, I just suddenly thought of, I mean, I recently watched a, a, a musical, Spring Awakening. Oh, which yeah. It's about basically exactly that. Um, but, oh. And it had um, Leah Michelle and Jonathan Groff in it, and it's really good. There's a whole um, you can watch the whole thing on YouTube. It's oh, interesting. Cool. Um, that's not the point. I definitely agree with you. I don't like the demonization of sex. I think we need to have more sex education, and I think religion is part of the reason we don't have that. But I also think that the people who are who are fostering that environment and continuing to foster that environment, if you demonize them as well, they're the products of that environment. Right. right. So yeah. 
making one group, which is uh, what happens, you know, in, in Spring Awakening, the adults are all evil for not telling them, but making one group of people evil for being the same part, like part of the same environment that they're bringing people up in is not really an excellent way to uh, to address it, the it's, problem. It's not very uh, Christian. It's not just not very <laughs> it's Christian. It's not very it's, compassionate. Um, it's, yeah. it's not very productive. Yeah. Right? Like, because then they just go, well, you're all wrong and I'm just going to stick to my guns even more. Right. Um, or how dare you say that about us or how dare you portray mm. us as evil, you know, and then th- that's that's not really yeah. productive. And um, the film does uh, is quite careful about that. In fact, when he talks about the evil nuns, the first thing you think in the audience is they're not evil. I don't know. Hildegard is pretty evil. Hildegard is pretty evil. But, like, they're not actually – well, at that point, you don't know that Hildegard did it deliberately. You just think she's a horrible person who who's like rules obsessed, and then at the end, she actually—it's not so much the rules of she wants to punish people, not just follow rules. Yeah, and and I mean, she's very clearly evil because they set that fire to all the old records, then lie about it. Mm. They lie to both Philomena and I suppose we're up to spoilers now, aren't we? Yeah, spoilers I guess. Spoilers ahead, guys. Um, they lie to both. She lies personally to both Philomena and her son. Right, yeah. she personally lies to them. Yes, she knew exactly what was going on, and so that in itself is a sin. I mean, Philomena talks about the Lying two sins. Sin. So, so Hildegard is clearly not like she's the evil one. But then people like Sister Claire, who's the next generation, and wasn't part of all of that, just sees people are attacking my right family, so my sisters. Yes, exactly. She's not evil. The the other no. nuns, and also a lot of the other nuns who were around then weren't evil. They were just part of a system. Right. Exactly. Um, I that's think what Hildegard I'm saying. is really the yeah. I, yeah, I, I was just what I mean. setting like, up. That as, there's one clearly. Right, there that, is one that is, but and some of them obviously are just not good people. Right. But the point is that individual nuns are not the evil ones. It's it's a whole bunch of people working together to protect an institution. Like it's a a lot of good people who follow bad rules kind of mm. way of, of it happening, which is of course systematic and systematic sexism and you know, yeah. institutionalized and you know, all that. And there's also a really interesting sort of through line of Catholic guilt in here, mm. which also resonated with me because, you know, my whole sort of my whole dad's side of the family is Catholic. Mm. And so I know a lot about Catholic guilt, mm. <laughs> um, have been on the receiving end of it many, many times. And it's really powerful, mm-hmm. like really powerful. And you see that in Philomena. Right, yes. all the way through the movie, she regrets things that she's doing. She keeps trying to change her mind, and because she still feels so bad about that one time when she had sex, and she doesn't want to rock also the about boat lying either. And yeah, that sort of mm. thing. But also doesn't want to attack the Catholic nuns because she's been told her whole life that those are the people helping her, even though they were clearly not helping her. Mm. You know, all of that sort of thing. So, um, mm. it's it's a really interesting movie from a like from a religious point of view for learning about that particular religion mm. um, because it's a very, very good portrait of what Catholic guilt does to women. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the way that we demonize sex is so damaging to so many people. It also damages her son, of course. Yeah. Because he's a closeted gay guy who ends up dying of AIDS and he that demonization of sex is incredibly damaging to him. Right. Exactly, and, and of course, and you see, and you see how it plays out down the generations. That perhaps by the he's a he's a gay Republican, which I just think is hilarious, because it, when you fi- like we find the son, and the first thing you see is that he's like worked for the Republican Party, and you're like oh, 
But then, that, of course, I really did. I was like, that's the worst possible outcome. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, no. But you um, – yeah, because at that time, you know, perhaps we were more enlightened in terms of not sending away unwed mothers – but we hadn't come all that far in terms of how we dealt dealt with homosexuality. And at that time, the AIDS crisis, which sort of nowadays is, is, we almost forget about, but there's during her son's lifetime that that was a bigger and more pressing crisis. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't forget. I mean, I've seen so many movies about that sort of thing, so it doesn't really well, – it's mean, something that I think I no, definitely don't not, forget about. No, there's not a visceral fear of getting AIDS. Like when you are out in the world as a young person now, it – I. You're more scared of getting pregnant than getting AIDS. Yeah, but even at that time, we wouldn't have been particularly scared of getting AIDS. He, oh no, when he was first sexually active, I suppose he wasn't. No, I mean we would. We would as have. us. That wouldn't be an issue. Like the AIDS crisis wouldn't be as much of an issue for us. No, but that's was the a- thing. When it was at its peak, it was really terrifying for straight and gay people. Yeah, but I think if for anyone who had sex, basically, it was a like a had a. Um, moralizing effect on people's yes. sexual behavior. It, yeah. It, uh. Well, there's been a couple of movies about uh, w- around AIDS lately. Like, there's obviously Dallas Buyers Club, which is another big Oscar one, is all about AIDS. I think and there might time- be – some of them might be a, that there's enough distance from yeah that crisis that they can start putting out, at least, at least the mm. ones like Dallas Buyers Club. And, and there's also, like, the whole – by the time you get yourself established enough as a director to start making big films like that – He's he'd be the right age to have lived through the AIDS crisis. Yeah, and in terms of like the women's story thing, yeah, I wish this had been more Philomena's story. Yeah, which ties into the stuff I was saying before. Yeah, I don't like that it was so much Martin's story because he is the he was o- overbearing. To he the story. was right. Like it just there was too much of him. He, there's more of him than Judy Dench, hmm. and there shouldn't be. I feel there should be more Judy Dench. And I understand that he's the way our way into the story. Yeah. But once we're in the story, we could pull back on him a bit. Yeah. Rather than having it be so much about him. That was really quite annoying to me. Um He is uh I was I think also more removed from the emotion of the movie because of the smelly man sitting next to me who kept distracting me and right. reminding me that I was watching a movie. <laughs> Fair so enough. it's That's- possible that I didn't get as emotionally invested as you because of that. Yeah, it's possible. I was I was angry. Like mm. we talked when we talked about Twelve Years a Slave about how it didn't make us angry enough. Mm. This one made me really angry, and not in the way that Wolf of Wall Street made me angry, where I wanted to punch punch whoever made it because it's awful. But I it just made me angry. Like I was f- about what had happened to her and the unfairness of it all yeah. and the. The way it was it was going, so yeah, that's why I got so much more involved. But back to the bit about it being Martin's story, um, I haven't really been able to find much reading about this. But apparently, in the book, the book is more about the son and what we find out about the son and his life. Okay, so in in, in that fact, makes sense. Yeah, it's called the lost son of Philomena Lee, right? So it actually focuses on him and his life and the what they did to find out about him more than it focuses on Philomena. So I think there's there was might have been less to work with. I don't I don't know exactly. And of course it's always, yeah. I mean, I, and I don't know if it's hard because she's still around and she's someone else is telling her story and there's all those kind of. I believe bits. Steve Coogan also co-wrote the movie. He did, which might go some way towards explaining why he had so much of a role in the movie. Yeah. Um, but it does it does because Judy Dench is the best part of it. It seems like you should have more Judy Dench in it. Mm-hmm. And the flashbacks were so good, so I was always happy to see more of those. 
and it was so much more like it is really, really that it's so um, topical as well with yeah. all the women's reproductive rights stuff that we were talking mm. about and yeah. how little people respect right. that because and how this era easy people- only ended with Roe versus Wade, this era of taking babies away. That's when it ended. I don't know what that is. Do you want to- Sorry, Roe versus- Oh, right. Sorry. Wow. Um, I, I'm sorry. Okay. So, Roe versus Wade is the Supreme Court decision in the US in 1973, which extended abortion rights. It, oh. it basically- uh, Abortion is one of those weird things under the law in that in a lot of places it's technically illegal, but it is- um, But uh, common law, judge-made law, uh, courts have decided over the years that it's- allowable in the cases, you know, to save a mother's life, to, if the mother's health is at risk, if the mother's mental health is at risk, if, you know, the mother can't afford to raise a child. There's a whole lot of social caveats around it. I don't know exactly. I just – anyway, so that happened in 1973. And in other other countries, like in Australia, for instance, in the 1970s, uh, I believe we brought in Medicare, which started to cover abortion, things like that. Abortion became – safe and largely legal and that's when this ended so it's only this era ended because there's became what there were widespread abortion rights and the pill started to be being sold to um not just to married women but it became widely available and easy to get hold of Mm. yeah um yeah it's all about moralizing sex Mm. and it's really and it is moralizing sex um that women have Mm. as though somehow they expect all of the straight men to be allowed to have sex, but not with women. Because mm. they uh, encourage straight men to have sex right, as much th- as they want. There's no punishment for the fathers of these babies. There's no. no one saying, you got this girl pregnant, therefore you need to work off your debt and pay to raise the child. No, there's no, there's nothing. There's no consequence. He has one scene and is never heard from again. Yeah, of course mm-hmm. not. Which is, yeah, that's that's part of the mm. you know societal sexism is that mm. women's sexuality is demonized and seen as evil and men's sexuality is completely normal right because and because we can't be separated from the consequences of ours the consequences of of female sexuality are inevitably pregnancy which might be why AIDS scared people so much would yeah because you could pass it on to your children you, and you did because not such the case anymore um men couldn't be divorced from the um, Their sexuality um from the um consequences of having sex. Yes. Oh, wow. That's so clever. Yes. Yes. <laughs> now that I right. think about it. Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing. That's why women's sexuality gets so demonized because we have there is such an obvious consequence. And it's why if anyone ever tries to tell you that the father gets a say when, and when it comes to a, a woman's choice in an abortion, you say, fuck off, that's bullshit, is that the consequences of sex for women are obvious and we can't live without them. And that is why if it's like that's why it's always about a woman's choice or the person who can get pregnant sorry i shouldn't you know if you don't identify as a woman but you can still get pregnant blah blah blah. um you it's always comes down to the woman's choice because the consequences are so much more real and so much more visceral for women Mm. than they've ever been for men yeah so it's it's i mean it is a really really sad movie but i think what this movie did give me Mm. that some people said 12 years slave did but didn't in my opinion is that sense at the end that it had this kind of affirmation of life mm. that Philomena was happy to have had the journey and known what happened and even though she discovered all of these awful things, mm. ultimately she was better for it. Right. And ultimately she didn't, like, ultimately it didn't 
it didn't break her, basically. Yeah. It actually made her stronger. And you see that, you know, in the end scene when she starts talking about the book again like she had before. Mm. Um, you can see that she is and, – and she makes that choice of forgiveness and she, it's really um, – what that movie does so well is that it it really does give you that that sense of uh, joy, I guess, which is kind of strange because it was so sad. But you know, the the sense that it's good to have a life and it's good to find out what happened and it's good to confront your past and all that sort of thing. Yeah, like she went on the journey that she wanted to go on, and even though some of the things she found out weren't the things she wanted to, she was still better for it at the end. Yeah, she just wanted to know. And then you can see that in her change and her decision to to that he should tell her story and all that sort of thing that mm-hmm. I think that there was this sort of implicit um letting go of the guilt and that sort of stuff. Right. And it was all in the acting and you know subtext which I think was really good because I don't like to constantly have things shoved in my face but it still kind of tells it in the story. Mm. Yeah, I thought it was uh she was also very magnanimous about it. She kept she said a couple of times, I could never have given him a life like this. She mm. was quite practical in knowing that had she been forced to, you know, well, sorry, had she been able to have the baby and raise him, he would have been like the poor child of a, a 16, 18-year-old mother in Ireland in the 1950s. His life would not have been as good as it was being adopted by relatively well-off Americans. And the bit I really loved was the choice bit. Uh, This is my choice, that thing. Yeah. Because even Martin was taking away her agency. Yes. By doing what he was doing. Well, that's right. And and there's um, she says to him, he's getting more angry about things than she does. And he's kind of trying to shout at these nuns and these priests. And she's like, look, I I forgive them. I, I forgive you for this. And let's move on. Which like, is one of the few times he really is necessary because he's there for, to be the audience, sorry. Right, exactly. He's, he's us. Like, we're the ones who would be shouting and making fuss of it. And really, yes. it's up to her. But so, yeah, and she makes a choice to forgive. So, the word choice, what it triggered in my head was that she actually didn't want to have a baby at that time. So, she probably, nowadays, if, you know, nowadays, if she got pregnant at that age, she would have just had an abortion. And that's why the word choice knocked it off your mind. I don't know. It off in my head. Like she that, might, I don't know she if she didn't want wanted. to because she really loved him. She did. but um, like, And she didn't really like – again, because Philomena just literally got no choice in it, mm. it's really hard to know what she wanted. Right. But she clearly didn't want him to be taken away. No. Um, she was shattered when he was taken away. So once he was born – but also, you know, the birth scene where they don't give her any oh. medication and he's breach and, and all that sort of thing. Um, yeah, that and that her pain, the pain is her punishment thing. Mm. Well, that, obviously they didn't care that it was no. dangerous because a whole bunch of the women died. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it was – Is that a cat? Sad. Do you want to make your uh, cameo? Um, Hi, Puck. It really, like, really right up until that point, which is a clever sort of way to do it, uh, Philomena doesn't get a lot of choices. And even when she thinks she does, she's kind of being manipulated by the story. Yes. Which, I, that, that's, one again, one of the reasons why I didn't like that part, because it really sort of smacked of just taking away her agency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, well, I was it, really worried about that because she was there, – there's a point where she's really, really upset at the idea of it being published with her real name and all that kind of stuff and you just think, oh. She and be, Martin just talks her and down. And he, he's trying to, like, talk her out of it and you're just thinking, no, she, you of all the people who you need to have full and active consent from. Yeah, that was interesting because 
he because of his turnaround and stuff. And I like how subtle and how sort of. I just think all of the other stuff was really cleverly handled. Mm. Um, yes. What was I going to talk about? I don't know. Oh, um, know. basically, yeah. This is one of those movies that nobody's got, like, it just gets dismissed because mums love it. Yeah. Oh, wait. Yay. More sexism. Woohoo. Yeah. Yeah. Don't. Don't dismiss this as a movie for your mum. I mean, if you have to, as an excuse, take your mum, but don't. Don't dismiss it that way. Go and see it. Well, yeah. Especially if you think yourself feminist or progressive. And that's partly – and that isn't really people's fault. That's partly the uh, – the um, it's Marketing. Marketing and-, and the way that they have decided to mm. – uh, even, like, even with the Oscars and stuff, they just sort of dismiss this as, like, basically what the human interest sort of thing that they talk about in the movie, which is extremely problematic and damaging, mm. I think. Because it still continues to dismiss women's stories well, as public that's, interest. That's right. While human men's interest stories are. Mm. Yeah, human, human yeah, interest. Women sorry. are relegated to the human interest pages, to the weekend magazines and and yeah. things like that. And it's what's happened with the movie. Yeah. And, it, you know, Harvey Weinstein's marketing and Oscar campaigning, notwithstanding, it's not. It's, it is. It's being marketed as like a nice movie for your mum to go and see on a Life Sunday imitating afternoon. art, imitating life. Yeah. Um, mm. So, yeah, ignore all of that and go see it. Because yeah. that is crap. Yes. Okay, do you have a star rating? Four and a half. I gave it four stars. Excellent. All right, I'll go wrap up the show. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you want to read the show notes on this week's episode or any other episode, you can do that at our website, silverscreenqueens.com. If you want to read Katie's review of Philomena or of any of the other movies she watches, you can do that at her blog, which is silverscreenqueen.wordpress.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at screen underscore queens. You can like our Facebook page or you can come and hang out with us on our Tumblr, tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com. Thank you very much for listening. Bye. See ya. <laughs>